Welcome to Build to Lead, forming the healthcare leaders of tomorrow. Back at you for season three. There's no denying that the last two to three years have been tough, and news cycles continue to report on the doom and gloom happening at home and abroad. And today, we want to take a breather from that and reflect on something more positive joy. But what is joy? Joy is energy. Joy is resistance. Joy is being in your mojo. Let's learn together on season three of Built to Lead, getting back to joy. Welcome listeners to Built to Lead, season three, episode eight, engagement and joy, part one. I'm Mubin. And I'm Matthew. And today we're going to be diving into joy with respect to engagement. And no, not the kind that you might have been seeing on your Instagram feed this summer. And speaking of engagement, this part of the episode will have a familiar ring to it. We start by checking back with Melissa Madison and Mikey Newhouse' explanation of engagement as seen in positive psychology. Peak engagement is really associated with being in the flow. When we are able to be entirely in the present and focus deeply on the task at hand. It comes according to Csikszentmihalyi and Lefevre when we hit that perfect combination of challenge and skill. According to Seligman, Steen, Park, and Peterson, we also get new joy from engaging skills we have in new and different ways. A key to engagement is self-reflection, as that self-reflection allows us to identify activities we really love and understand our character strengths so we can focus our time on doing activities that exploit these. Engagement is a lot more powerful than just driving joy, but joy is one of the key outcomes of being engaged. And to help us dive into engagement, we are joined by Mary Yulbeen. Mary is an expert in all things complexity and how to manage through it. In particular, we're going to focus on how complexity and followership can be at the center of engagement and finding joy from that. We also get into the articles very quickly with Mary. So in part one, we will also talk about how an OBGYN department took a step back and re-engaged an increasingly frustrated workforce in order to get back to joy. So without further ado, part one of Engagement and Joy. Mary Yolbian is the BNSF Railway Endowed Professor of Leadership at the TCU Neely School of Business in Texas. Previously, she held the Howard Hawks Chair in Business Ethics and Leadership at the University of Nebraska. She has also been a visiting scholar in Sweden, Spain, Portugal, Denmark, and Australia. Professor Yulbeen's research on complexity leadership, relational leadership, and followership has appeared in leading journals. She was noted as the sixth most influential leadership scholar in 2019 in an article in the Leadership Quarterly. And Poets and Quants also ranked her as a top 50 undergraduate business professor. She is a founder of the Network of Leadership Scholars and is active in executive education nationally and internationally, delivering sessions for the Brookings Institute, the Gallup Organization, and universities in the US, Canada, Australia, and Europe. She has also been a regular commentator for CNBC. Wow, Mary, it's a pleasure to have you. How are you? I'm doing great. It's so wonderful to be here with you. Amazing. Now, we want to ask you the big question. What brings you joy? Ah, oh, such a great question. I love this. I've been looking forward to a, a discussion about joy all day long. So I have two answers to this because one is on the personal level. 
And on the personal level, what I've learned in the last few, few years, and I hope we get to talk about this a bit more, is joy is being in my body, fully grounded and present. And I hope that healthcare people get what I'm saying. It really is about being present, grounded, connected, in, and in my body. And I say that because I spent most of my life in my head. So this was a great discovery for me when I learned and realized that there's something more to it. And then if I want to add to that, I can say in my body, in nature, with my family, and preferably moving around. So that would that's great joy for me. And just laughing and having a great time with my family. And then I think I should also answer on work. So. If it's about work, then joy is when I am ideating, creating, and implementing in a complexity space, an adaptive space with other complexity thinkers. So that, that, those would be my answers. That's lovely. And I, and, I, and I love the fact that you shared both worlds, the personal and the work. And we're going to go a little deeper into tying both of them later on in the conversation. But speaking of discovery, when you were sharing, what's the story behind when you first discovered this? Well, I spent most of my life in my head, and then I got the opportunity to get a bit of a break from work. And at that time, it was so funny because I basically worked really hard my whole life, and I had this opportunity to go be in a yoga studio. So I was in a yoga studio with other people who were doing this, and it was during the day. And so I started to see this whole other world. I'm like, wow, there are people who like during the day are doing this stuff. And I would sit there doing yoga and meditation during my classes thinking, I feel like the luckiest person in the world that I get to actually sit here and do this. Because I think many people might be like me and that I was a driven workaholic. And so this was an attempt to try to broaden and expand my life. And I'm just really lucky that I got to experience it when I did in my 50s versus too late. And I, I just, I think that this issue of mental health and well-being and understanding mindfulness and being connected and grounded, it, it's so important. And in healthcare, I'm actually hoping that with what's happened in, in COVID, an outcome is that we understand mental health better. Oh, I love that. And, and uh, to be honest, I have experienced puppy yoga. And I can, <laughs> I can confirm that having little puppies around you while yoga is another extreme experience. <laughs> I got I to gotta try that one. <laughs> I've never done that yet. Absolutely. <laughs> So kind of going a little deeper, um, your research centers around topics that are so critical to healthcare leaders today, in particular, your work in complexity leadership and followership. To start off this conversation, could you please give our listeners a quick overview of, of complexity and your work on helping leaders understand how to enable what you call adaptive process? Absolutely. So I think we all know what complexity is now. I talked about this for a long time, and the only gift to me of COVID really was that it got the world to understand complexity. So I don't have to go out and talk with people about that anymore. And what we know is that what happens in complexity is there's some kind of an emergence event that creates a phase transition to a new state. So that became common language, the new normal, right? So that's a phase transition to a new state. And that puts pressures on people and the pressure is called an adaptive challenge. So in the face of the adaptive challenge, you have to come up with something different. You have to do something different. You have no choice. And the extreme complexity is adapt or die. And obviously we have that in COVID. So everyone here knows that. So the question then is, well, what does that mean? And how do we do that? And what we've been discovering in our work is what I call the adaptive process. And this came from the physical and biological sciences, from complexity sciences in that area. And we've been applying it to the social sciences. 
So as we do that, what we've discovered is that we can put a framework around this and we've been able to narrow it down to a, a, a dynamic that I'm calling the adaptive process. And the cool thing about this is that it's fractal. And what that means is that the process occurs at all levels. It's the same process that just happens across scale. So the really simple way of thinking about the adaptive process is this. You have the pressure come in, puts pressure on the system, presents an adaptive challenge, you have to change. That's going to then spark an ideation process that we call entrepreneurial leadership. So entrepreneurial leadership is the idea of I'm going to start creating and ideating and trying to come up with what we need to do in in the face of this adaptive challenge. But the other piece of it is that we exist in systems already, and those systems have operating systems or operational systems. And those systems often are resistant to this change. So what ends up happening in the adaptive process is we have the ideation going, but it hits up against or bumps up against the operational. And so we want to do something different, but we aren't sure we can do it or the system is fighting against us. So those two things go into tension. And really at the core of complexity in the adaptive process is tension. And I call it adaptive tension, or I've called it in the past, the the tension dynamic. What happens here is those things engage in what we call conflicting. So conflicting is these different ideas or different needs pushing up against each other in a conflict state. And so the key to the adaptive process is, can you engage the conflicting and the right kind of conflicting? Because you need to have it, but can you get it to connect? So the core of the adaptive process is the conflicting connecting dynamic. So I think, let's use the example of COVID. Um, We can't see our patients. So what are we going to do? We'll do telehealth. Then in the past, telehealth has been there for a long time. In the past, people said, no, we can't do it. All of a sudden, now this adaptive space has opened up and loosened the system for change. And the operational leaders now say, yes, how can we do it? So now you start to get the connecting. So you get conflicting and connecting. So then you've got the people wanting to push for telehealth and the operational saying, well, this won't work, but we can do this. So that's that whole process that we call adaptive space. And when you do this well and you enable the adaptive space in the right way, you get adaptive outcomes that get implemented into the system in the form of new order. So to summarize that, there are three kinds of leadership then. There's the entrepreneurial leadership, which is the ideation and the the novelty, learning and growth. There's the operational, which is about results and producing and making sure that we can keep our system functioning in a healthy way. And then there's enabling leadership, which enables the adaptive space. And adaptive space is creating the conditions for the adaptive process to occur. I absolutely love that. Because sometimes when we talk about leadership, we're, we're so focused on thinking of it as a whole, but we don't we forget that there's so much complexity within even saying leadership because there's different dynamics. And within leadership, there's complexities where we have to enable, we have to adapt, and we have to lead with caution and intent. We're going to get into this even, even stronger. Because yeah, even you talk about, Mary, that it takes complexity to be complexity. And in this adaptive process, just maybe thinking about that joy, because it may be frustrating to actually achieve joy um, during that tension. So maybe even thinking about that component of joy to that fellowship, because I know you talk about leadership at all levels. So both in the sense of being important to establishing that fellowship, but also enjoying following or being followed. Can you maybe touch on that a bit? Exactly. And I do want to answer the question about whether you can have joy and complexity too. So, you know, yeah. to tie that together with the idea of can complexity be a joyous thing? And here's the answer to this, the, the best one I can give. In complexity, we talk about three zones. So there's a chaos zone, there's a complexity zone, and there's an order zone. 
All right, so think about chaos at the top, complexity in the middle, and order at the bottom. If you are a person who likes order and you are in chaos, you're not going to be happy. So you're, if you're experiencing complexity as chaos, then you're not going to have joy. In fact, it's going to be the exact opposite. It's going to kill you. It's going to burn you out. You're going to go crazy in it. You're going to hate it, right? So what you have to do is make sure that if you've got a complexity situation, you try to get people in that complexity zone, which means they have to experience it as complexity and not as chaos. And the biggest challenge that we have is we bring the chaos down to order. People like order, so they want to stay in order. But we have to find ways to get them out of order and into complexity in a way that we're tapping into the tension and the adaptive tension, not as distress, but as you stress, as this positive kind of stress. Okay, so that would be the answer to the, the complexity joy question. Followership, I, I just love this topic. And this is because now when we think about complexity in the way that we're talking about, Mobin mentioned that this is a very different kind of leadership, and it is. And so to understand followership, what we have to do is reframe our thinking about leadership away from leaders as individuals and understanding that we're looking at leadership, not just leaders and not just positions. We're looking at co-creation. So I talk about leadership as a co-creation process. And in that co-creation process, what happens is individuals come together and they, they act as leaders and followers or they engage in leading and following to co-create leadership and followership and then their outcomes. So the core here is that you can't have leadership without followership. You can't have leaders without followers. And this has been overlooked. So when the question was asked and it was there was a discussion about whether we were going to skip this one. I'm like, no, don't skip this, because the question is, can you have joy and followership? And I will tell you, I have so much joy and followership. I enjoy that more than anything, because what it allows me to do is engage in a co-creation partner or partnership and co-create with leaders. And oftentimes I don't want their role. I don't want all the accountability and the responsibility and the authority that comes along with that. You know, it's, sometimes it's bureaucracy and management. And I love the ideation. So it allows me to engage as a follower to co-produce or to take the things I want to do and leave them with the bigger responsibilities. So I, I think it's so much fun. There's two things that really stand out to me that I wanted to share. So the first one is when you said you can't have leadership without followership. Now that I'm reflecting and thinking about it, that makes so much sense. I mean, when you think about a leader, you're thinking about someone who is kind of facilitating, but then you have the followership that is kind of listening actively and then going about their ways and doing it in a, in a way that's creative, that where they're able to be themselves and freely do something. And then the second thing that really stands out to me is the fact that sometimes you just want to be a follower. And, and sometimes you don't want to be in that leadership role, as you mentioned. You don't want that accountability or extra, well, in some, some cases, some leaders having extra pressure on their shoulders. And so you just want to be that free person to just do how you wish, actively listen and have that free conversation. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. And Mobin, I would say that the reason that I like the followership role so much is because I am a complexity kind of leader and I love to enable adaptability. And I've grown up most of my career in bureaucracies, right? So most management positions, most hierarchical leadership positions that I've seen are bureaucratic. That kills me. So I've kept myself out of those positions and done my leadership 
by enabling adaptability through the ways that I can partner with those leaders. And then I can avoid the bureaucracy. <laughs> I think that's a great point that you brought up, Mary. Um, and I'm glad that you did keep that in. Just for our listeners, it was me that was taking out the followership. But you really, um, I think it's really important just thinking about it now, because even as we're talking about engagement, you need to engage the people that you're working with. The leaders and the followers need to be engaged to be working on a team to have that synergy. So. I'm really glad that we did uh, bring this up because I really think that's important for us to think about. Because a lot of times, as we were saying, we only think about leadership only, but we're not looking at the other side, which is very important. And when you put both of those mixes together, you get that positive engagement, as Matthew kind of mentioned. So to help guide our listeners and provide actionable tips around engagement, we have been framing discussions around different articles. So throughout today's episode, we hope to find the common space between leadership, followership, engagement, and ultimately joy. For listeners, you can find the link to the full articles in the episode description, but don't worry, we'll summarize as we go. We have three articles lined up that we will be exploring with Mary today. So the first one is called Achieving Flow in Surgery, the second, Zoom Fatigue Worse Than Ever, and lastly, Achieving Flow, an Exploratory Investigation of Elite College Athletes and Musicians, which is going to be super interesting when we get into it. And our first article for discussion today is actually a case study on an obstetrics a unit that had lost their joy. And to combat this, to combat this, the first manager of the unit allowed no major changes unless they were safety related in order to really just establish that trust and rapport with the team. Then they engaged in a team building exercise offsite to identify the barriers holding them back. And then they began establishing those team building, team culture, and team norms, and really that friendly competition and engagement that restored joy to the unit. So Mary, in a post-COVID-19 era, this is going to be a common thread of finding workplaces that are burnt out, where the culture is, for lack of better words, just really in disarray. And just looking at it through the lens of complexity theory, do you think that this sort of approach taken by the OBGYN department is something that addresses a complex problem well? There are so many things here we can talk about. I mean, this we could go on all night. So let me comment on the part about what the obstetrics team did and tell you that it's really interesting to me because I'm doing a research study right now with an organization and it's qualitative. So we've started our interviews and I did an interview two days ago and it described almost exactly the same approach. They used almost exactly the same thing. So I read this and I was like, wow, I cannot believe I'm seeing this again. So I'll tell you their story. I can't name the company. And then I'll tie it to this one. And their story was that what they're trying to do is drive people to thinking about a new way of working. So kind of the future of work or new work movement. And they are realizing that they need to have trust. So at the core of this is really having a foundation of trust. And so they did an offsite almost exactly like like what's described here. And the interesting thing was when they were describing it, they said, you know, these are salespeople and all these other things. We did nothing about that. We did everything else around engagement, around people talking to each other. And they said it even opened up a lot of emotion for people. I mean, they would do walks together and they'd walk out for half an hour and address issues. And then the other trade partners and the partner would talk for half an hour. So exactly the same kind of thing. And I think that if organizations can do this, the payoff will be tremendous. What I will say is that it's a luxury. So this approach that the obstetrics obstetrics team used is really a luxury in many organizations that don't have time. So 
I think the idea of how do we get to trust and rapport and how do we engage in this team building is really central. Now, you can do complexity without it. And if you're in emergency situations like what we were in in COVID, you know, extreme pressures, people will actually unite. Okay, I'm going to sidetrack real quickly to a story that I read recently that I think is interesting. This was, um, the, it's called Monkey Island. It's in Puerto Rico. And it's rhesus monkeys. So they're macaques, I think is what they're called. And the hurricane, Hurricane Maria, went over the island. So they've been using these monkeys for research. They were extremely concerned that they would not survive, but they did. But because they've been studying them, they saw the bonding and the relationships. And what they found to their surprise was that after the hurricane, they had broader bonding and relationships. So monkeys that never connected before are now connecting and supporting each other. I think that's somewhat what COVID could have done to many people. But those are extreme cases. So in the everyday, we don't have time to do that. The question would be, how can we actually get the engagement by building the trust and the rapport and the relationships? So I think that's the benefit of that article. Thank you so much for sharing that story. Um, it really displayed kind of what you were trying to address in that kind of unite under pressure. And to be honest, that was something, well, I'm just going to take it on a personal note where before the, the pandemic, my family, like my dad used to go to work and my mom used to go to work and I used to go to school. And so we'd meet at like the evening nighttime. But kind of during the pandemic, we got to spend so much time together that we got to learn so much more about each other. Right. There was a certain bonding that built even greater than what perhaps existed. And so I can relate on a personal note, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners can can as well. Um, Mary, on another level, what are some approaches of restoring engagement? Do you think leaders in, in complex systems should consider? Right. So I think it goes back to what Matthew had asked also, which is how does this relate to burnout and how does burnout relate to complexity? And what I would say is this, if we get the idea that people should be bonding and connecting in relationships and trust and rapport, that makes so much sense, right? That's what makes us feel good with each other. The problem is the vast majority of our work is not that. So we have a problem with work. And I think that's what people realize. Somebody described this, um, uh, the great resignation. Somebody described the great resignation to me as the great reckoning. And the way they described it was, we had a reckoning, we had an, a, an awakening and an awareness that basically we've been sold a, sold a bill of, of goods about what organizations are and what our lives should be. And to your point, they come back and they say, this is what life should be. We want more connection. We want more meaning and purpose. And they're still fighting it. So I think organizations are go going to have to understand that they are results driven. Everything's driven by Wall Street or by financials or in healthcare by the outcomes. The more you hammer on people for outcomes and results and the more you pile on them and layer on them the need to have all of this technology, which is not the way we get connection, then the worse it gets. We're pulling them away from those things that really get them into engagement and flow. Yeah, I think that that's good because that kind of even goes back to your point about that tension piece and how we have that that conflict. And really, we're trying to go from that confliction or that conflict to that connection. So that's something that we're really um, trying to build on. All right. So Matthew, it sounds like whether we are flexing our entrepreneurial, operational, or adaptive leadership style, there are a few themes that underscore building engagement. 
The first word that came up to me quite frequently during today's talk was the idea of co-creation. When we are enabling adaptive leadership, we are able to unlock co-creation, and that helps us keep our peers and teams truly engaged. I think you're right, Mobin, and that co-creation is just so much easier to unlock when you're working from that foundation of trust. That was one of the other key ideas I heard Mary talk about today. While we may not have the luxury of being able to step away from the workplace to build a trust as was done in the OBGYN example article, according to the Healthy Workforce Institute, the ways in which we grow trust are by building relationships, building effective communicators, demonstrating accountability, also conducting ourselves in an ethical matter, and also having that expert knowledge. And that same group also suggested three strong actions we can take towards exhibiting those five behaviors, which are one, build positive relationships, two, make good decisions, and three, be consistent. When it comes to engagement, it really is trust over everything. And trust me when I say that if you enjoyed today's conversation, you will continue to enjoy it next week when we talk about engagement and how we can avoid disengagement in virtual settings and as well as how to get into the flow of talking about flow. We'll see you next week. And until then, as always, we wish you a smile, a laugh, and joy. Thank you for joining us on Built to Lead, Season 3, Getting Back to Joy. Built to Lead is created and hosted by Matthew Goldberg and co-hosted by Mubin Lilani. Built to Lead is a companion podcast to the Vernissage Health Dialogue series at the Institute of Health Policy, Management, and Evaluation at the University of Toronto. Tell us what you thought about this week's episode. You can find us on LinkedIn at Vernissage Health and on Instagram at Vernissage Health. You'll find both of these in the episode description. Today's episode was produced by Hannah Hodgins and Tony Deshenza with music composed by Sindhu. Special thanks to Wendy Nelson, Senior Fellow at the Institute for Health Policy Management and Evaluation.